Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. We're going to be camping uh, out there this, this morning. Uh, had a few Ask the Pastors come in this week. Some we're still working through. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we're doing this summer. Uh, you can, if you have any questions, and literally I say anything, uh, we've had questions like, can we bring coffee back? Uh, to, uh, to what we, you know, doctrines of salvation. And so any, anyway, and so uh, we got one this week. It was from the, some youth girls, and how do you uh, pronounce uh, the book of Philemon? Philemon. Uh, and it's, Luke says some people say Philemon, but Philemon is how you pronounce that. And uh, we have some more that we're still working through that will come uh, uh, as, as the summer goes, we'll answer. So keep sending those in uh, on our website. Uh, you go to uh, our website on the bottom right corner, there's a floating question mark. You can click that, uh, and it'll give you a little box that you can type, type those things in. And so anyway, keep sending those in. Uh, and so being that it's Father's Day, I'm going to tell you, fathers, I'm not going to uh, beat you up today. I know a lot of times on Father's Day, it's like we just get beat up because we need to be, because we're, we're like mothers need to be cherished, and fathers just need to be beat up, uh, and so, because we know ourselves. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I did think that it'd be cool to start with actually like a dad joke. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, so here's my attempt. Hope you think it's funny. I thought it was funny. Uh, and so there were four soon-to-be expecting to be fathers in the waiting room at a hospital, and their, their wives were giving birth. They didn't know what they were having. They just knew they were having a kid. And so uh, they're sitting there hanging out. The nurse comes out, comes to the first guy, and says, hey, congratulations, you're having twins. Uh, and he says, that, that's strange because I work for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, not not uh, too long after that, the nurse comes out to the second guy and says, dude, you're having triplets. And he's like, that's crazy because I work for the 3M company. Uh, shortly after that, and the nurse comes out to the next guy and says, man, you're having quadruplets. And he said, man, this is really weird because I work for Four Seasons Hotels. And then the last guy starts beating his head up against the wall, and the guys are like, what's going on? He's like, dude, I work for 7-Up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, there's your dad joke for, for the day. Uh, Psalm 78, as we walk through Scripture, uh, definitely on this Father's Day, uh, what I want to do, I just want to remind us, uh, as fathers, as parents, our job that, the God, the, that God has given us, as parents say, Justin, I'm not, uh, I'm not a parent, uh, maybe I'm single, or I don't have kids, uh, I'm going to speak to you as well, because a part of being a church, yes, the primary uh, job of a parent, like my primary job is for me to disciple my kids, right? This isn't the church's primary job isn't to disciple my kids for me. As a father, as a mother, it is our primary job to disciple our kids. However, the church also has a responsibility uh, to help parents disciple their kids. And so when we signed that covenant a few months ago, uh, even if you don't have a kid, what you did is you, you committed yourself to the families that do have kids to help disciple their kids, to help to teach their, their kids uh, the knowledge of God through VBS, through Bible studies, through things like that. And so it's a group effort. Uh, and so, but anyway, the Bible teaches that in God's order of doing things, it is the parent's primary responsibility for teaching children the truth about God and his will. The church has a secondary responsibility to assist the parents, and it's important for all of us 
to grasp this. And so in Psalm 78, one through eight, it's a familiar passage. I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's like 70, yeah, 72 verses long. I'm just going to camp out in verses one through eight. But this is it's another masculine like Luke was uh, uh, talking or taught on last week. This is of Asaph, uh, who was a uh, musical director, musical leader for King David. Uh, and so what it does through the whole psalm is it tells literally the history of Israel's disobedience and God's repeated mercy from Egypt up to the point of the time that David was reigning as king. That's really what, what we see in 72. But in the first eight verses, Asaph gives us his reason for writing this song, if you will, uh, for writing this, uh, what we know to be as Psalm 78. So let's read it. It says this, verse one, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, and to the coming, but to tell, but uh, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might, and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Father, we love you. God, we just pray now as we open your word. God, that you will, you'll teach us. God, we, we ask, and well, we, we plead our dependence upon the uh, Holy Spirit. And so, God, we ask that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to see your word, uh, to see your, uh, your testimony of yourself. God, our response to that, uh, and God, your command that you've, uh, you've placed on our life. Uh, but also how you've uh, through the gospel, how you enable us to do that which you call us to do. So God, teach us today, encourage us. Uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So what we see in these eight, eight verses that we read is Asaph saying, hey, I'm about to, I'm about to talk and I need you to listen. Uh, what I'm about to say is important and I need you. That's how he starts the first couple of verses. He says, harden not your heart to like, uh, listen, incline your ears. Like give, I, I, every time I see that, y'all remember like Robin Hood men and Tyson was like, brothers, lend me your ears and they all take off their ears and throw it to them. Uh, anyway, that's what I think of when I read that. But uh, anyway, uh, and so he's like, listen to me, give me your ear. I'm about to tell you something important. And what he walks through is ultimately, let's tell the generations that they will know the Lord, that they will set their hope and they'll walk in obedience. Like what I'm about to say and what he does after verse eight, all the way to verse 72, one side of it's like depression, you know, depressive because it's like Israel, they rejected, they rebelled, they, <laughs> there's no hope in them. Like they just constantly would forget. Like it's a story that's just intermingled with Israel's disobedience over and over again. But the same sense is God's steadfast love and God's uh, forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, his long suffering. Well, we'll see as you, and I, I encourage you to go home this afternoon and if you have time and read Psalm 78 and, and, and as we walk through and maybe 
Did it make sense? But three points that I want to point out today when it comes to us educating our children or us teaching our children uh, that we see in this verse. First of all, I want you to see number one is that Asaph understood God's work. Now, what we see, we see it in verse five, and we see that, and this is kind of like the launching pad for us discipling our kids or leading our kids or really life in general is that God has spoken, that God is, that, that God has revealed himself. So you see it in verse five, it says that he established, so who established what? He, God, God is the one that established what? A testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. So what we see, first of all, is that God, God has a revealed will. All right, everybody with me? God has revealed his will, and here, specifically, Asaph is thinking like he's taking us back to Mount Sinai. So if you go to, to Exodus uh, 31, you'll actually see uh, that, 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 that Moses actually, when he's talking about the Ten Commandments, calls them the tablets of testimony. And so whenever Asaph is writing, he has in mind Mount Sinai when God visited Israel after he's delivered them and sets up uh, this this tablet of testimony, if you will, or what we know as the Ten Commandments. This is God's revealed will. And here's the good news for me and you today. God has spoken. He's revealed his will, right? Uh, If he he had not spoken or revealed his will, man, we would be adrift in a sea of confusion in this world, right? Because any, like, and I, I know every preacher in every, like, decade is like, if there's ever a time that we need something eternal, something that doesn't change by the tide of the cultural news, it's today, right? It's God's word. God has revealed himself. God has spoken. And today, even in this crazy climate of what we call 2022, there's something that we have as followers of Jesus that isn't, it doesn't change. It's, it's, it's transient, if you will and that we can build our life upon, that we don't have to just float in confusion, but we can have understanding. And God's revealed will is basic and it's primary, that God has spoken. We orient, as followers of Jesus, we orient our life to the testimony of Scripture. We center our life, say, Justin, that's very basic, follow me, because sometimes we move past basic. Right? We spend our wills teaching our families anything and everything, but we walk past the most basic thing we should be teaching them. As in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 is, I deliver to you of first importance, right? The gospel. I'm not going to beat you up, I promise. I'm going to keep going. Our parenting, our discipling of children is centered on God's word. God has given us, literally, we have a God-given compass on how to live life. God has revealed his will to us. He has spoken. He's the one that made the testimony in Jacob. So in picture here, this is what's important. This is what I love about uh, understanding is God who initiates things, and it's God who speaks. When we, when we look at this, like I said, Asaph is taking our mind to Mount Sinai where we got the Ten Commandments. But here's something awesome that somehow I, 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 I just always go straight to the rules. Anybody else there? 
Like the Ten Commandments, like, don't do this, don't do this. Do you know what precedes that? Go to, actually, I got it on the screen. Exodus 20, I think I gave it to you, didn't I, Paul? Exodus 21 and 2, yeah. Here's what's cool. So this is before he starts giving any orders. He starts giving, this is the Ten Commandments. He, he reminds, hey, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Like that's God, when before God gives Moses and the Israelites things to do and not do, he reminds them what he's done for them and who he's been for them. And so whenever, whenever I, I believe whenever Asaph is speaking of this, this testimony and this discipling of our kids, it's not just telling them all the things not to do or to do, but telling them who God has been for them and will be for them. Because he has been this for all of eternity. He calls it the testimony, right? The tablets of testimony, the Ten Commandments, do not begin with God's demand, but a testimony by God's grace and power for the sake of his people. That with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, he saved Israel out of bondage. And then he gave them the Ten Commandments. That God did a work that they didn't ask for, and then he gave them this Ten Commandments, if you will. So Asaph meant not just God uh, told us things to do, but that God testified of what he has done and what our response should be to that. So we see God's revealed will that he has through the word, but we also see God's command. We see it in verse 5. So he established a testimony in Jacob, he appointed law in Israel. And what did he do? He commanded our fathers to teach their children. Teach their children what? that he's the Lord their God who delivered them out of Egypt to teach them the law and the precepts of the Lord. God not only established the testimony, but he commanded us to teach our children. What does that mean? Like if we just kind of dive into that, and this is a newsflash, and, and the reality is that we, we probably, I can't say, I'll say it, get, God doesn't speak to me and you the same way that he did Moses. Right? Anybody ever seen a burning bush? If you did, tell me where it's at or what are you wrong? Uh, or has God ever called you to a mountaintop and there's just crazy things going on? And he says, bring me two stones so that I'm going to anger. Like, he doesn't So, what's God's intent? It's not that God doesn't speak anymore, but the way he speaks is that every generation teaches this to the next generation. Like, that's God's purpose. That's God's intent. He spoke this way to Moses, but his plan and his purpose was that the fathers would tell their children. And that the children would become fathers and they would tell their children. And they would tell their children. Matter of fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. But in these, first, these eight verses of Psalm 78, it, it covers at least five generations. That Asaph is praying for, hey, I'm going to open my mouth so that five generations down, people are still obeying the Lord and still trusting the Lord and still walking in the knowledge of the Lord. So God's work, what has he done? He has spoken, and he's given us a law and a testimony to his work and his will. And he's commanded us to teach him, his testimony to our children, to children. Second, we see God's work. Second thing is we see Asaph's example. We see that in verses 1 through 4 when he says, hey, give me your ears. Listen to me. Incline your ears to me. And he says this, that he's going to open his mouth and, and in a parable, and he will say dark sayings of old. And uh, what does he say in verse 4? 
We will not hide them from our children, but we will tell the coming generation. What's he going to tell them? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Yes, he's been talking about, this is why I believe that Exodus 21 and 2 is so important here, because Asaph says, I'm not just going to tell them these, these rules, but I'm going to tell them how good and faithful God's been. I'm going to tell them his glorious deeds and his wonders that he has performed that we have seen. We're going to pronounce, we're going to focus on who God has been. He also says, I'm going to talk in parables and dark sayings. And in my mind, is like, you read the next 60-something verses, and it's pretty black and white. It's not really much of a parable, right? It's Israel disobeys, forgets, God forgives. Like, where's the, like... And what I think it is, a lot of times like when you go to parables like Jesus' parables, uh, parables, yeah, obviously there's pictures and you know, underlining stories, but most of them ended in asking quite like, oh, how could that be? They're, they ask, they end in asking questions, if you will. And so what we see is that, that they're straightforward. There's a, there's a gospel rhythm of rebellion and redemption, sin, forgiveness, wrath, and mercy. But what it should do, it should leave us all asking two questions. If you, if you were to go to, actually, let me just read some of them. Look at verse, it's not going to come on the screen, but if you have your Bible, look at like verse 13. It says, he divided the sea and let them pass through it, and he made the waters what we just read. You split, you know, you split the sea that we could walk right through it, but look at verse 11. They forgot his works. How can you forget literally the sea busting wide open and you're walking on dry ground, right? Uh, verse 14, it says, uh, in the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. And in verse 17, yet they sin still more against him, rebelling the most high in the desert. All right, you want me to keep, you want me to keep pointing some of these out? Let's look at verse 18. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food that they craved. And you see verse 24, and he rained down on them manna, to eat and gave them grain from heaven. I got more 32. It says, in spite of all of this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 38 says, yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and it did not destroy them. I got some more. You want me to keep it? 43 uh, says, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zion, well, 42 says, they did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from their foe. Verse 54, uh, and he brought them to this holy land, to the mountain which was his right hand had won, which 58 tells us, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and they moved him to jealousy with their idols. 59 says, when God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. But then in 72, it says, but with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. Those just a couple of verses should make us ask questions like, why couldn't they believe? Like, why couldn't they trust? Like, what was wrong with them? Then the other question should be, how could he be so long-suffering? How could he be so merciful? How could he just keep forgiving and giving grace over and over again? And I think that's the intent of these dark sayings of this parable that it leaves us stunned with the wickedness of man and the amazing grace of God. Like if we were to truly read it, we should begin to ask them questions like, man, is my heart that way towards God? 
then it may ask us, maybe for some of you need to hear me say this, if God could forgive them for that, then can he really forgive me? That's why I think in a sense it's a parable in these dark sayings of old because if we really read it, we would go, is there hope? Yeah, if God would redeem Israel over and over again, then there is hope for me. Asaph's purpose was to declare the testimony of God to the next generation. He says, I will, dec- I will not hide his glorious deeds, he says in verse uh, 4. I will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds and of his might and the wonders that he has done. Asaph's purpose was to declare the glorious deeds and wonders and saving Israel that God had performed. Like I said, it pushes us to examine our hearts and to hope in the grace of God who is long-suffering. And here's what's crazy. I got ahead of myself while I go, but Asaph's was long, like it wasn't just his kids he was thinking about. He was thinking about his great, great, great grandchildren. Right? So check this out. Look at it, and, and I'll show you. In verse 3, he says what? These things we have heard been made known to us from our fathers to us. Right? So generation 1, generation 2. Our fathers to us. And then uh, what does he say in verse Four, it says, we will not hide them from, uh, we will not hide them from their children, but we will tell the coming generation. So there's our kids, right? So it's our fathers, it's us, it's our kids. And then he says, so that they would tell kids that aren't even born yet. Who would, the kids aren't even born yet, they'll be born and they'll raise up and they'll tell their children. That's, that'd be our fifth generation. So he has this long game. But what we've seen is this legacy of teaching children the things of God. It's our job to teach the generations the goodness of God, the testimony that he's revealed in himself. And here's where I'll, I'll get, I'll step into dad mode for a second, in my own heart. Because if we, if we aren't teaching them, I guarantee you the world is. I guarantee you. Somebody will indoctrinate our kids, it might as well be us. Right? Everybody with me? Like, they will be taught. They will, listen to me, even our kids' view of who God is will be taught to them by this world. But you and I have God's revealed will of himself of who he is and who he will always be. In his goodness, and his wondrous deeds, and his might, we have this. It is, it is our job. And this, more than ever, we need to be teaching our kids. That's why we have VBS. That's why, you know, as a church, like I said, as, as parents, as I, I'm like, Evie, Emma, and Red, that's my, mine and Ashley's priority in discipling. Like, even before me as a pastor across my church, I'm just going to tell you, like, my number one job on the face of this planet is to love my wife and love my kids to Jesus. Not be the pastor of Cross Point. Right? And so, and more than ever now, right, as a church, as individual families, we need to take on the command that God has given us for us to be discipling our kids in the knowledge of God. But here's what I can promise you as a church you're not going to do it by yourself. That's the goodness of being a part of a community of believers. 
is that we have things like VBS. Listen, I'm gonna, this is a, now I'm going to step back into pastor mode. That with this reality, no church our size should ever have to beg people to come work in a kid's ministry. Should. Why? Because our job is to teach the generations who are going to teach their generations, the next generation. Like, that is the goal is for, yes, to come up here on Sunday mornings and get fed and things like that, but it's about investing in the kids, right? It's about, it's about teaching our kids the truths of who God is. Like, let's be like, can, even me, I've been convicted about this. Can we be more like Asaph and see the picture that we need to teach the children the things of God, even at a young age? Sorry. No, I'm not. Asaph's examples, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to tell them what to do and what not to do. I'm going to teach them about God's faithfulness, even in our unfaithfulness. Y'all get that picture? Like, do y'all see that? Like, he, what he's teaching them is not just a list of, like, he's not presenting his relationship with God just based on these Ten Commandments, but what precedes that Ten Commandments is so there's a God who's been faithful and a God who forgives and redeems. Now, obviously, it's a God who has a standard. You teach that as well. Keep going. What's the purpose? God's purpose. We see that in 6 through 8. That the next generation might know them, yet the children get unborn and arise and tell their children so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So what's the first purpose that, is that, they, that, that they may have the knowledge of God? Why do we commit to teaching our children, teaching children the things of God, that they will know God, that, that they will have a knowledge of, of God? So I want them to love God. Well, knowledge, love comes through knowledge. Right, it's as we know things, as we understand who God is, we grow in love. Our first task as parents, right, is to to impart genuine knowledge of the testimony and the law of God. Above teaching our kids anything else is to teach them God's word. To educate our kids on who God is. Not only that, but it says that the second purpose is that they may put their hope in God, what we see in these passages. That knowledge of God will lead to hope in God. That what goes in the head reaches the heart. Like, I want more than anything for my kids to not only know about God, but that that their hope is set in Him. Because I see what the world is in 2022. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in 2040. But we can start today installing things in our kids that when 2040 gets here, their hope's not in their things around, but it's in God. That's the reason why we do this. And hear me. I'm going to step back into Pastor Road again. And we teach it in a way that they'll grow to love it. What do I mean by that? Listen to me. If we love it, it's it's not like a given that, you know, Train up your child in the way of the Lord, and then he will not depart. Like, that's a proverb, not a promise. Like, that is the best way to do things, right? But it's not a guarantee that the kid, your kids, like, it's not, I'm, I know I'm not guaranteed that Rhett's going to grow up to love the Lord. I can say he's in here. You know, yeah, I'll just pick on him. Like, I'm not guaranteed that that's going to happen. Oh, but I pray that it is. And I'm going to do everything in my power right now when he's this age. Right, to teach him the things of God. 
And, I, and that's, what, that's what I'm getting at here is that, is that, 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 that would hope. But here's, here's what I'm saying. The more we love it, the more prone they will be to love it as well. Why? Because <laughs> I've learned already that half the things that I say go in and out of Evie's ears and Emma's ears, but they watch what I'm passionate about and what excites me, right? Like, like Evie knows how much, like if I go to my closet and walk out with like a golf shirt, like she's stoked because she knows I'm going to go to the golf. Like she knows how much I love to play golf, right? Like they, they pick up on what we're excited about. So listen to me, dad. Listen to me, mom. If you're not excited about the things of God, then why would you expect your kid to ever be excited about it? Like if church is a secondary thought for you, coming to church on Sunday mornings takes secondary importance to baseball or, or this, that, and the other. Listen to me. Why would your kid think that church is important for them? Like if I wake up on Sunday mornings, now I wake up before like I'm out, but if I wake up and my, my kids just see me, I don't want to go to church, I'm just... I come in, it's just like, why, why would I expect my kids to care about it at all? Right? So yeah, we, we will teach the law and the goodness of God, but I want my kids to see, and I want your kids to see, our kids to see how much it means to us, how passionate we are about it. And we should be praying already for the day the Lord saves our children. The third thing that I see is not only that they would have a knowledge, not only does it change their head, they have change of heart, they would hope in God, but also that they would obey God. That's what we see, that they would keep his commandments. Education is about how our kids act as well. Our goal isn't just to fill the head and the heart, but that they walk with the Lord that I wrote this down, that their, their head, their heart, and their feet are all synced up. I know that's the work of God. And like lastly, the, the fourth thing that I see, the purpose is that, that they would tell their children. What does it say? That those who are unborn, will, they'll raise up, they'll tell their children. What's the purpose? What's the goal? Is that a kids, they'll know God, they'll set their hope in God, they'll walk in the ways of the Lord, and they'll tell their children. That's the legacy. Like, that's, that's the legacy to leave behind. So what's the application to these things? Number one is that uh, fathers, mothers, let's teach our children the things of God. God has revealed his will and commanded us to do so. Second thing, church, I want to remind you that we're called to support in the education and discipleship of the children here at Cross Point. That when we covenanted ourselves a few months ago, and I signed that, I promise, we promised to each other that we're each other's responsibility. So sign up to work in kids and teach. Work at VBS. Find ways to, to, to share and help each other raise our kids. It's the beauty of church. And I wrote this down before, right before church was, 
And the reason why that's important for churches to say, hey, you know, this is our responsibility, because you know what? I wasn't one to Jesus nor discipled in Jesus by my parents. This, there may be a teenager, there may be a kid that, that God's going to use you to win them to Jesus. All right, you follow me? Because not all the teenagers that come through the youth group or the kids that come on to VBS tonight have parents who will disciple them because they don't know Jesus either. But I'm thankful that we have families in this church who invite their kids' friends to church that gives us the opportunity to share the gospel with them. That's why we commit to that, y'all. But I can't, Justin, I've messed up. It's too late, my kids are too old, I can't start doing that now. I don't know how, here's the good news, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible, I gotta go through quick this, but the gospel, it informs our identity. Listen to me, as a father, as a mother, as a, as a husband, as a daughter, as a son, the gospel, it forms who I am. So yes, you, you may have messed up or maybe you didn't have a great example, but the Holy Spirit lives within you and he's given you a new identity. You can lead your family. You can talk to your kids about the things of God. You can because the gospel says you can. Second thing is that the gospel instructs our activity. How do I, how do I know what to, I'm going to read it real quick. I know we got a, can y'all stay with me? Can I read a lengthy passage of scripture real quick? Okay. In Ephesians chapter five, and I'm not going to break it down. Luke can do that next week. But Ephesians chapter five, verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Luke's got that next week. But as I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read from Ephesians five twenty-two all the way to 6, 4. And check out these relationships, husband, fa- husband, wife, wife, husband to the kids, and how it is in, rela- in relationship to our relationship with Jesus. Everybody with me? That's, that's the goal of this exercise. See how many times we see ask to the Lord or in the Lord as we walk through this. You ready? 522 says, wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, that also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself with splendor, without spot or wrinkle, and any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. Speaking of husband and wife relationship, this mystery is profound because I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now we get to the kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them 
up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Did you notice that every imperative is connected to in the Lord, of the Lord, as the Lord, as Jesus said this, what I'm trying to say, what God's called us to be as parents, the gospel enables it and it instructs us how we love each other. We love as we've been loved. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We serve as we've been served. Are you following me? The, the, how, how God has treated me in the gospel of Jesus Christ is how I lead my family and how I lead my kids and how I love my kids. The gospel instructs how I'm supposed to do the thing. You follow me? Are you with me? Maybe. Maybe, maybe that just makes sense in my head. Thirdly, the gospel enables our ability. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work with his good pleasure. Just, I, I don't know if I can do that. You can't. Luke sent a quote yesterday for Spurgeon, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Right? Like, if you, if you understand, like, that's, then you're, you're the perfect candidate for God to use you. If you understand your dependence, hey, I can't, listen, but I want to tell you, I want to encourage you I know this is Father's Day, but I'm speaking to all of us. Hey, can I do this? Yes, you can, because the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you a new identity, which means now you have the Holy Spirit within you. That's good news. How do I do it? Well, you do it the way you've been treated by the Father. Third, it also gives you the power to be able to do it. So what I do? Start, let's start t- teaching our kids the things of God. With a goal, listen to me, with a goal that they would know God, they will set their hope in him and their feet will be synced up with their head and their heart and they'll actually walk in the way of the Lord. Oh man, I, I try not to think about it too much. But like, you know, Josh and I have had this conversation like 30 years down the road if the Lord lets me live. How I many? Like, let's all get this picture in our heads for ourselves. Sitting on the front porch with the grandkids all around and those kids are just talking about the things of the Lord. Hey, I know some of you, you you come from a family of that legacy. Some of you don't. So it's got to start, like, may God use you to change the trajectory of your family. Cool? Like, you feel everybody with me? Like, today we decide my kids, they may not choose to believe one day, but it's not going to be because I didn't tell them. Cool. Are you with me? I really know how to end this, but hey, we're going to have VBS tonight. I bet we're going to have a lot of people show up to help. But the God in you, what he calls you to do, dad, mom, he will enable you to do as well. And the good news is we don't have to come up with it on our own. It's right here. Like <laughs> That's the, you know how freeing that is? All right, well, all right, I'll do it, God. What am I supposed to do? Just here, here. But no, and I'll give you more than that. I'll, I'll be in you to lead you along the way. Trust him that he will use you. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this mascal of Asaph. That, God, I pray that we've inclined our ear to your word. God, that we've seen that you've revealed your your character, your testimony, and you have commanded fathers to teach their children.
God, this morning, can you just give us a fresh love, if you will, for your word, for your gospel. Remind us as we walk through Psalm 78, maybe later, that we see the foolishness and the hard-heartedness of Israel, that that's who we are. But God, you've been patient and long-suffering, and we're all testimony of that. God, I thank you that you save even kids who didn't grow up in a Christian home. I know that you do that mightily, but God, your ordained plan is for Christian fathers and mothers to be the ones who share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their kids. We know you're sovereign, but God, you also have a design. And may we walk in obedience to that. May we confess where we've placed idols in our families. And we've placed idols for our kids. God, I know I'm guilty of that. May we confess those things that we have allowed to be of first importance in our homes. May we recover of what's of first importance. That our legacy will be generations that know the Lord, that hope in Him, that walk with Him, and tell the next generation. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, I'll be standing down here on the front row. Uh, Luke's back in the back. If you need to talk or pray, we're, we're here for you. If you're a lady who doesn't feel you know, comfortable talking to a dude or praying with a guy, we can connect you with another lady. Uh, but if you need to pray, I'm down here. Uh, you can use this as a, the front of the stage as a place to pray or whatever you do, respond in a way. If you don't know Jesus... Man, I wish I had more time, but you can today. Through his gospel, through his death, burial, and resurrection, you can find eternal forgiveness, eternal redemption. Forever. If you want to talk about that, just come grab and say, hey, I need to talk about that. I don't know what you're talking about. Y'all stand and let's move as the Lord leads and sing along.